a Podcast One production. G'day, welcome to Be A Man. This episode is Therapy and Terrifying Emotions. And Doc, how are you? I'm good, mate, as always. How are you? Mate, very well. As all our podcasts, we have a special guest. And today we're going to speak to a bloke called Terry Cornick. He has started a non profit organisation called Mr. Perfect. Do you know much about this bloke? I do. I was lucky enough to meet Terry um, probably a couple of years ago now um, and uh, hear about the very early stages of Mr. Perfect and it's been uh, quite exciting to see how it's grown and developed over the last uh, year or two. We're going to be talking today about emotions and how terrifying that is actually sort of letting letting your guard down and talking about real feelings, why it's important of course to face up to them and how does therapy help. I reckon I'm a therapist. I know you went to university, Doc, and you spent all those years and you're a doctor and you're this and that, but is can't we all be therapists to a certain degree? If you're sitting there listening to your mates, you're having a chat, you're going for a walk, you're exercising, you're having a cup of coffee, isn't that therapy really? Oh, well, look, it's, it's supporting um, and I think it's super important to emphasise how beneficial, how important it is for particularly blokes uh, to set up those support networks around them, to have friends they can talk to. And obviously uh, we're going to hear from Terry about how he does that with Mr Perfect and, and even Gotcha for Life. And, you know, there's a whole lot of movements now that have developed over, well, quite, quite a few years now, encouraging people to help each other, support each other, you know, reach out, are you okay, etc. Um, but I do think it's important to differentiate between that, which is really helpful, and therapy, which should be conducted by a therapist, i.e. someone with qualifications in counselling or psychology. Uh, there is a difference. Um, both are important, uh, but I think it's important to understand where one finishes and where the other one starts. Doc, do you think people get a little scared at times or a little concerned with the unknown? So you watch a movie, you see on TV, you know, the, someone goes to a therapist, it's got the feeling that it's going to cost you a lot of money. It gets the feeling that you're going to be lying on a, on a couch talking to a stranger about things that are super important. So it actually might put some people off. Oh, definitely. I mean, I've spent so much time over the years busting myths and misconceptions about what therapy is and what it isn't. And uh, as he hinted at, Unfortunately, Hollywood hasn't always done a great job. You know, they've they've described it or pictured it in in ways that aren't really. It doesn't really reflect the reality. I mean, the number of people that have walked in when I when I used to do a lot more therapy, and the number of people that would walk into my office and just look around and say, you know, where's the leather couch? And they'd look at it and say, well, this just looks like a normal room, and um, you look like a relatively normal person, which Mm. might be hard for you to to understand that people would say that. But um, (laughs) but it, it is important because again, while there are those myths and misconceptions, you're quite right. It does stop people going for help where, um, you know, where they don't stop, uh, you know, they're not afraid to go to help to see their lawyer or accountant or dentist or other professional. And, you know, a good clinical psychologist or, or counsellor or therapist, um, it's no different. They're just experts in a slightly different area. They're going to sit in the same sort of room, but they'll be able to offer advice and help in a, in a, in a different way that's really important for our mental health. Terry Cornick is the founder of Mr Perfect. It's a non-profit organisation, holds regular men's-only barbecues around Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne. The barbecues are a, are a space where men can open up. It's a safe place, I imagine. Terry's open about his own self-esteem and his own issues around suicide. And the name Mr Perfect was a nickname his friends gave him because, as most of us blokes do, we walk around with this wonderful mask on and we don't want to let our anyone know really our true feelings. He's originally from the UK, so we'll give him plenty of stick about the ashes as well. And hopefully he can offer an outsider's perspective on the Aussie bloke. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Now, Mr. Perfect, where did it come from? So, 
I have a bit of an interesting story. I grew up uh, in the UK in a very British kind of family. We were very working class, um, but lots of uh, tragic things that happened when I was a kid and growing up, yet we just brushed them under the carpet and we never talked about them. That's just the way we, we dealt with things. I thought that was normal and didn't really think too much of it until I reached sort of teenage years and knew I was a bit different. Knew I was a bit more sensitive than most. Did okay at school kind of just drifted through life until I went to university and around sort of 20 years old really realized something was up and a spontaneous decision one day when I said I'm going to go traveling to Australia so I decided to uh, go with a mate traveling and went up the coast uh, came back down met my wife um, who's Australian on the second day I was here went back to the UK for a year she came back with me and then again I made another spontaneous decision when she said do you want to go back to Sydney? So I said, yep, great. And I wanted to escape at that point. So around the early 20s age was when I was really feeling um, some dark times, but um, ended up back here and um, for the next sort of five years lived a really incredible life. Um, somehow I was almost a different person to what I was in the UK and started again in a strange way. I got to about 30, about four years ago and realized things weren't um, I'd never really dealt with my issues and I just bottled them up the whole time. So a mate of mine used to call me Mr. Perfect at work. I was doing particularly well at work. He said, oh, the boss loves you. Um, she's always on my back, but you know, you come in, your wife's beautiful, you wear nice suits, blah, blah, blah. And he was on my case constantly, not knowing that I was going home most nights and feeling like it was the end of the world. And every few months was breaking down completely and feeling suicidal. Um, so at 30, um, I decided to write a bit more. I was into writing that led to a blog that led to writing my story up to 30 years old put it aside didn't show anyone that transpired into a pub conversation with some mates and um we set up mr perfect i hate to put a label on it because when i finally went and got sought some sort of professional help and went to a doctor they diagnosed me with you know depression ptsd anxiety and i was at the time kind of quite happy with that thinking okay well i've been labeled that's it what do i do you know next steps but I really, it goes back to early age. There was, you know, my parents divorced and that was traumatic enough, but it was kind of just brushed under the carpet. There was some abuse in the family. There was a history of mental illness. And there was all these things happening that were quite obvious, but no one seemed to deal with them um, properly. It was almost like next day, off we go, get on with it. Well, it's, it's the sort of the stiff upper lip type thing. My wife's exactly. English, she's just like that. She just goes, well, that's just life. You get on with it. Yeah, it's exactly that. But it's, uh, it's not different here in Australia. I mean, I guess we've inherited that from our British yeah. background, many of us. But I, I want to pick up on two things you said, Terry, if that's right. One, you, when you started telling your story and you said in your, I think in your 10 years, you said you started to think you were a bit different. What we know from the research now and what we know from talking to a lot of people is that you're not different, that you're like many of us who have experienced those sorts of emotions. And then the second thing I want to touch on is that you said you tried to escape, uh, which I and many other people have done as well. I tried to escape through travel. I tried to escape through alcohol um, and avoidance. Um, what would you say to people out there um, who are listening, and I'm sure there are some, who have felt what you and I and many people have felt, whether it's depression or anxiety, and feel they're different? Uh, well, I first felt that at a very early age. I'd probably say around 10 years old. I knew something was different. I, I felt things more harder than most, the good and the bad, so I was a lot more sensitive. And I just put that down to being me. And I, other people would look at that and say, oh, you're just sensitive to things and they didn't really they didn't really pick up on it many people but I guess if you're feeling at that point um 
reaching out was hard enough for me because my family didn't, it wasn't discussed beyond that point. And it would come up in a burst of anger or me being quiet myself, but it would be three months of building something up and then an argument with someone and it would end in tears and, and then it would disperse for a while. So you think everything's okay and you let it go. And then it, you know, a few months later, it starts to creep up again. And I never had an objective person to listen to me. Well, I never had someone to look up to really, or my dad wasn't around. So I didn't really have a male role model that could talk to me or just take me aside and say, what's up? Like, talk to me. I guess what I was getting at is, do you you really think you were different? Or do you think, like me, we just felt different because other people weren't talking about it? But in reality, there's lots of other people out there feeling exactly what we felt. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I, at the time, I just thought I was weird. I I honestly thought, and even I remember being at school at 16 and, I just started seeing um, this girl who was way out of my league and I remember a guy at school saying, why are you, and I overheard him say it to her, why are you with this freak? And I never forget that, it really like hit me hard. But at the time, you know, you smile and you pretend it's, you know, he was a bit of a school bully, but those things really stuck with me. But I let it go. Um, I look now and look at my friends who, you know, in their 30s, late 30s, And it's almost as though that sensitivity, I can pick up, I know when something's up. So it's kind of a, it's a blessing and a curse. It's sensitive to me, but I know they might mention one thing about their history that it might have been something that happened traumatic way back. And I can see now it's a a mate who drinks too much or a mate who loses his temper. And we used to go, oh, that's just so-and-so. That's just him. That's just him. And we'd laugh about it. And the next day, you know, after a night out or something, it would get just pushed aside. Whereas now, like, I know we are all, you know, out of my sort of five closest mates, I'd say four, even if we don't always tell each other our whole history, we're all dealing with these things. We all felt we were different. (laughs) And that's what I was saying earlier. Those of us that experience that are not really different, it's just that we feel that way, we feel lonely and and on our own because people don't talk about it. And I uh, I obviously know what Mr. Perfect's about, but not all of our listeners would know. This is what Mr. Perfect, the movement, is trying to break down. Can you tell us a bit about how you're trying to do that? Yeah, without a doubt. So um, Mr. Perfect, um, we have charity status. We're an extremely small charity. It's me and a couple of my mates on the board. Um, We hold monthly barbecues, six in Sydney at the moment, one in Melbourne and one in Brisbane. Um, The barbecues started as us. We all love football, soccer, me and a couple of English mates, and we said... Who's your team? Oh, I don't support anyone, which is also a weird thing. (laughs) That is weird. People think it's really weird, and they say, oh, you must support... Arsenal or Tottenham because you're from North London. I said, no, I've kind of followed it. I like football, but I've never really attributed to one team, which again makes me weird. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Move on. Listeners can't see us obviously here, but Gus has a look of utter disbelief on his face. (laughs) Especially in England where you go for your local side who might be in the lower league and then you have a team that played in the old first division or the Premier League now. I mean, I I had a Liverpool shirt when I was five years old and I lived in Pimble in Sydney and you lived in North London. You didn't have an Arsenal, West Ham, My cousin supports uh, Man United and he used to take me to the games. I'd hate going. I'd have to pretend I like going. I I didn't want to go all that to Manchester in the car. I was only young and we go and watch him and he was really involved and he'd buy me shirts and things yeah. like that. My brother was an Arsenal So supporter. you went to Old Trafford and didn't yeah. enjoy it? <laughs> it was good, but it, I think my You mate, would have preferred to stay at home. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to change your conversation, but let's come back to Mr. No, no, Perfect. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, that's another, for another podcast. But although, actually, this is 
maybe relevant and important because I guess so what a lot of us blokes are comfortable talking about is stuff like sport we can talk about sport to the towers I'm home but we won't talk about the fact we feel miserable or whatever now I suppose that your barbecues maybe is that the way people can entree yeah. into these more deeper conversations what normally happens is like I, I, we set up these barbecues it's um we found you know a cheap option i.e in most places in Sydney this is the, be- the beauty for me of living in Sydney as well Public parks, lots of green spaces, free barbecue facilities in most places. We would set up a barbecue there. I would run it, wear my Mr. Perfect apron, cook the sausages, cook everything else we're doing. And we'd we'd advertised it on meetup.com. And um, people... Uh, turned up to the first couple. How many people turned up to the first couple? Uh, the, the first one we ever did in Surrey Hills about two and a half years ago, one person turned up. Okay. And there's me there with two people, two of my mates. How many sausage you have? Uh, about 40. <laughs> yeah. So my wife my wife was happy because it meant she didn't have to do the shopping yeah. for the next week. But, um, <laughs> sausage casserole, sausage with beans, sausage with mash. There was a lot of that, yeah. yeah. Um, one guy turned up and there's me and two mates wearing our Mr. Perfect T-shirts, all keen and really, you know, waiting for this first person to come and anxious and thinking we're going to talk to this guy. He turns up, he had the worst social anxiety and must have just felt terrible. This experience for him must have been the worst. But for us, it was... This is our first person. Let's hound him and talk at him. And Did he come to a second barbecue? He never came back. He never <laughs> came back. So anyway, that, that was the start of Mr. Perfect. But over the two years, it grows so slowly in Surrey Hills, the central barbecue we did. We started to get more people. People would turn up with all backgrounds, you know, not just men actually as well. We kind of made it. We didn't stipulate it was just men. But they'd come along and they'd say hello to me first because they saw me as the face of it or they'd see me on the website or the meetup web uh, meetup uh, portal and they'd say hello and it would all be very everyone was sort of sussing each other out and because I knew a couple of people there I started to consciously try to in, you know um, introduce people and say oh so and so's into this so and so's into this and while I'm doing the barbecue so it felt quite natural to do it um, and what inevitably happens was people would then they might not talk about their story but they'll ask me while I'm on the barbecue and I was so used to telling it by that point I would just dip into bits of the story and say, well, actually, and you could almost see their brain sort of ticking over and something going, ah, oh. and they went from being quite a sort of, you know, anxious and they opened up a little bit more. They'd inevitably come to me at the end of the barbecue and say, oh, see you later, Terry, and shake my hand, say that was really great. And then they'd come to the next one and they'd be a different person. Um, or I'd get a message afterwards or an email saying, like, that was incredible for me. Although we didn't realise it, they said there's no bravado, no one was forceful, no one tried to, you know, talk to me directly about, you know, whatever it might be. It, it kind of opens up in the way I've looked at it is someone will ask me about, for example, um, you know, being a dad or the first experience of that or a stressful time at work. And inevitably, it doesn't start with, yes, I'm depressed. It's not an AA meeting. I don't stand up and say, Terry, I'm Terry, I'm depressed. It kind of just comes around to the discussion of, okay, well, you're stressed, you've just had kids, what's going on there, you know. And before you know it, just that feeling of telling someone about that it is very cathartic, like it's incredible. And presumably now, now you've been going for a year or two, you, I'm guessing people have been coming back week yes. after, or month after yeah. month. Uh, what have you noticed in some of those, you know, some of the people that have been coming over a slightly longer period of time? Uh, their confidence levels, not going from being sort of an introvert to an extrovert, It's but they inevitably then say oh do you mind if I run the barbecue or do you mind if I you know do this or what about if we did this what about if I brought a footy along and we or a cricket set or one guy turns up who's been one of our absolute um like he's been there every single one of the central barbecue and um he 
he keeps suggesting every time on our meetup uh, page, can someone play chess with me? Because I keep suggesting play chess, but no one plays chess. <laughs> so we've had to, <laughs> I feel like I have to play chess with him next time just to, you know, and he's such a great guy. And to see him, he actually messaged me yesterday and said, can I run one of the barbecues where I live? And I said, great. That's exactly what we want. Yeah, that's, we've grown these people. And I think just listening to you and explaining, I can see your face is that you're excited because you're thinking of these people and yeah. these characters and you've actually learned to love these guys in a, in a certain way. Um, building a safe environment is the key. People have said, and the doc hears it all the time as well, you know, oh, blokes don't talk. You know, oh, my wife, da 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 but I, you know, I don't get a word in and the... It's rubbish. If we can build a safe environment, then blokes are happy to talk to the cows come home. Some people talk more than others, I understand that, and some people may need a few barbecues or a few meetings to get there. But as a general rule, if we feel in a safe place, blokes are very open to talk about things that are very, very important. Now, with this barbecue, um, so you're there, there's a game of cricket maybe going on or there's a bit of the chat and that sort of stuff. Um, Do you find that people are bringing their mates after they've been there. We have had people do it and we have had people then bring someone along and naturally their friend is then the person they were, you know, their first meet-up. They're quite cautious and like, why have they brought me to this? What is this? Who are these people? But they have done that. And it's to see the regulars is incredible. And I always think about, well, what made someone not want to be there? Or there might be occasionally a couple of characters that might be, you know, they do tell, maybe it's all in any scenario, you know, different personalities, it might be that they overtalk or they might not, but we don't stop people. If someone wanted to tell their story, I'm all ears for it. Do they have the floor or is it more in no, little groups? No, it's more very, um, it's very casual. We've done it in parks because we've realised if people feel threatened or they turn up and they, it's hard enough for me in my mind when I get up to go, I've got to go and do this today and I get my anxiety and shit I'm not feeling good and then I work myself up and then I get there eventually and then naturally it takes over and I realize why I'm there it's hard enough for them to get there and turn up so they might walk past in the park on on the the pathway and go ah there's too many people there this is not for me that's fine they can we don't even know they've gone um it's a very open space so we have had some people I've told my story informally to people and not even planning to sometimes and it's gathered a bit of a you know, people have kind of gathered around in a circle and then there's a bit of pressure, but the reaction from that is you can tell instantly it's incredible. And we'd rather that happen in a natural, safe space, in a safe, in a natural way. We've had some people turn up for the wrong reasons. Um, occasionally we, we had a personal trainer that, you know, was really keen on um, helping us and wanted to run a barbecue and do this. And after a few sessions, we realised he was pretty much just handing out his business cards. Yeah. Same for a psychologist Would have been did fine that if well. he was happy to do it for nothing. Well, you know, Anyone who comes here gets free whatever. It, it was a sort of a, it was a strange thing and we had to put a stop to that. And it, I do get people contacting me and asking, can I speak at one of your things? But I kind of say now, look, unless we, I say, no, no, just come to one. Come to one as a participant. Don't tell them what you do, absorb it, see what's going on, you know, and then we further down the track, if it's useful to everyone, brilliant. But it's, yeah. So I love the way, I really love the idea that it's so casual and informal and it, it sounds almost like, Richie, you probably know what, what psychologists call 
gradual exposure, you know, which which is used for anxiety disorders. You start off, it's about confronting your fears, but in a slow and gradual way as you get more comfortable and more confident. But that being said, um, so is there, is there any structure to the meetings or, or would it be helpful, do you think, to have any structure? People have suggested it. So originally we said we do it normally from 11 till 1 and, you know, I'm someone's there or I'm there doing the barbecue. People turn up and... Um, We'll inevitably the first sort of half hours, everyone sort of, you know, quietly chatting. And then later on, we, I've left at one o'clock and people are still chatting for an hour. And I've left people there saying, look, I've got to get back to my, my wife and son. And they've just developed their own little friendships, which is incredible. We did have a structure of, you know, a, a mental health professional, in inverted commas, or someone who has a story to tell or something useful, just talk for 10 minutes, you know, very informally. And everyone gathered around very quickly. And then we would have an activity, let's say, you know, kicking a footy around or playing the, the cricket. Um, we've toyed with those and we've toyed with that structure and some people want it, some people don't. And I find it really hard to please everyone because I sometimes get messages saying, Terry, I didn't really enjoy the food today. Can Next time, can you provide organic um, vegetables? Can you provide this? <laughs> I have to be really polite and say, look, I'm trying to help. <laughs> I'm trying to do it for everyone. So it's, it's difficult. They've got to know that they're... Not there for the food, right? Yes. <laughs> like this is just a reason to be there. Exactly. Eat, eat before, eat after, champ. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's almost, maybe it's a bit like, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a bit like I guess in, in the old days I remember well, my grandfather and a bit my father I suppose, although it was starting to fade out by then. But uh, in those days um, they would, you know, the men traditionally um, uh, would, would finish work but before going home would stop off in the pub and have a couple of beers and again – I think there was probably some chatting then. It was probably fairly superficial, but and I guess my generation um, that stopped for for good and bad, right? Well, you know, for good reasons, obviously, and we don't necessarily want to have alcohol involved all the time. But is that kind of what it's about? Just having this place where people can come, they can sit and say nothing if they want, or they can chat if they want. Definitely, that's exactly what I tell them. If someone came and said nothing, but just got to know what we're about, or. Um, thought maybe a friend could benefit, or whatever it might be, it might just plant a seed that then. They do need to go and get professional help or they do need to go off and do that. That's that's absolutely fine. One of the big reasons I started it was it was at a time when I went to my GP, cold, as in my wife said, just go, he's really great, my family GP. He is incredible and still go and see him now. But the option was here is a psychiatrist because you've been feeling like this forever and here is some medication, end of. There was no suggestion of anything else. In my day job, I deal with doctors so that helps and just not by just by pure fate I started opening up to them and, and asking them a bit more about what they do when you know they see people and they said Terry we see people your age same scenario and we just give them a leaflet like we don't have these options to give to them at the same time when I started Mr Perfect I read this really boring report um, by a, a big mental health group and I thought no one's ever going to read this and they published this online and made this big hoo-ha about it but it was a 200 page report I thought how do you the communication level of what they were trying to say was too in-depth. But me being a bit of a geek on a Sunday afternoon with nothing to do, I'm reading it and highlighting bits that I thought were interesting. And the key takeaway from this 200 pages for me was a survey. They called it connectedness. So a survey of, I think it was, I'm picking numbers here, but 2,000 men in there, 25 up to 50. And as they got to, it just showed this graph and, and stats that basically said, once you get over 30... So before 30, you're seeing your mates once a week, sometimes every day at work if you're lucky, if you really get on with these people. You're going out once a week, you're maybe playing football. 
once you get over 30, there was just this gradual decline of 35. How often do you see them? Oh, once every few weeks, once every month. 40, kids, mortgage, stressful job, everything else on top. No time for these things, you know, weekends with your family and rightly so. Um, and they said, I, some people said, I don't remember the last time I sat with a mate on his own, like a good mate or a group of small mates and just chatted in a way that was might not have to be about something. It might be just a release talking about a stressful time at work. And I figured that was kind of a interesting, yeah, connectedness was the word. I think you're absolutely right, connected. Just what we're doing now, looking at each other in the eye and talking. And the doctor and I did the same thing before you came in. And all our discussions are always very in-depth and, and you know, take a little bit of time with it because when I feel as if it's important to do that. With my, with my mates, I've had to sort of put diary notes. And I do this with my wife and I actually explain to my wife I think I'm going to be a better guy if I do this. And she has seen me come back from these weekends. We we call them Saxa weekends. So, the, you know, the Saxa pot, like yeah. pe- pepper pot, pepper and uh, salt. So we started off playing for this little mini pepper pot and we played all these funny games with one of my mate's farms. And then we ended up putting that little pepper pot onto like a, a wooden plaque and now it's this looks like, the, um, you know, Wimbledon trophy sort of thing. But every three months. Now, people go, whoa, every three months you get a weekend away. I go, yeah, but I come back a better husband, I come back a better father, and I come back better for my job as well. And my wife sometimes sees it and goes, oh, you got Saxon this weekend, we've got this with the kids. But she goes, no, and it's been happening now for seven years. Now, when I say that to blokes, just say to your partner, please, can I have this time? They may get one. They may, may get one. With yours, it's only a couple of hours, isn't it? So they can go a little bit more likely to go rather than it's, you know, because mine's Friday night, Saturday night, come home Sunday. But you also, Gus, and I'm sure you don't mind me saying, because you've spoken about it, you have your weekly walks. Absolutely, every Sunday morning. A couple of hours on a Sunday morning. Look, I, I, I can touch on both of what you said. I remember hitting that stage exactly as you described you know, a couple of years ago now and thinking, I'm just not seeing my friends anymore for variety, you know, because you have kids at different ages and you're working at different... And I remember, um, well, it's been a few years now, actually, I have a, a note in my calendar to schedule appointments with friends. And I remember when I started doing it, I thought, this is really weird to actually have a note to remind yourself. Yeah. But you get so busy and you forget. And and I do that. So I've got a couple of friends now and on a rig, you know, it, it, it varies a bit depending on what we're up to, but we'll have lunch, we'll have beers or whatever it might be. And as Gus said, it's I mean it's not a whole weekend, but but I come back from that feeling, it's just so good. And mm. even though it might seem a bit weird to, to structure it in or schedule an appointment, if it's gonna work, if it's gonna help, because we know, and Terry touched on this, we know how important those relationships are, that connectedness is, that feeling that we're not we're not on our own. Mm. I had a um, text message from probably about two weeks ago. Um, and in January, I went, did dry January. I said, I don't drink too much, but I just thought, I'll do it. I'm going to test myself. And I had a mate's 40th, a mate's 30th, Australia Day. All these things come up. So they thought I was being really, you know, just, I don't know, reclusive. And they actually thought something was up. So on the same day, I got three or four texts from these group of mates, some of them on the Mr. Perfect board, um, saying, you know, it was so obvious they were checking in on me, but it was all, not the same wording, but it was almost, you know, just staggered out. And they'd obviously been together at this party going, is Terry okay? You know? And as though I was okay, I was absolutely fine. I was just being a bit more focused at that time and, and checking out a little bit. 
that was amazing. I told someone about it. I said, how nice is that? That they, they never would have done that two years ago. We would just would have gone, okay, when's the next, you know, Bucks party, when's the next this? And we would have seen each other then and got hammered together and never talked about, or we might have talked about things then, but not in a really meaningful way. So to know that they reached out like that, if I had said, actually, something's up, can you give me a buzz or can we get, they would have gladly done it. In terms of, um, you know, spending time together and scheduling in and totally understand that and some people might go, you know what, I'll try that. Do try that, you know, anyone listening because you you will find a time where you'll go six months without seeing someone who you really want to see and you really have a good time with. But I'd also say try to, like, I, there's people who, people that I know that have got lots of mates but they don't necessarily have lots of friends. So going to the pub and watching a soccer match, going to State of Origin, so you might spend four or five hours together, the build-up to the match, couple of hours, few beers, having a steak, burger, watching the game and then, of course, being the expert after, oh, I would have done this and why did they select that bloke? And you're having a brilliant time and you're laughing, you high-five or give each other a man hug, you leave, but you've actually... At no point have you discussed anything that's super important. And I say to people, make sure you have at least one or two friends, you know, that you can actually talk to about things that are really important. Maybe not on the origin night, but just say, hey, mate, can I see you tomorrow for coffee? You know, I'm not going to say anything tonight in front of Smithy because he'll take the piss, but I need to talk to you one-on-one and, and I, I love you. And I, Like having that discussion, I can have that easily with my mates now, but when I first had it, they were like, whoa, you know, they felt really like, oh, my God, you're taking our friendship to another level and maybe I'm not ready to go where you, you want us to go. Yeah, and I think, I think that's really, there's a couple of really good points there that I think it it's, can be helpful to think about your friends on different levels and it's great to have those mates that you have a great time with. You won't necessarily tell all your personal details to all of them and a, a really important point you just made then, guys, you really only need one or two. You don't need hundreds. You don't need thousands of you know Facebook friends or whatever. If you've got one or two, that's enough. But what I also like about Mr Perfect is sometimes you know, maybe it's that anonymous person you don't really know that you might be able to open up to. That can actually be a useful relationship as well and I'm, I'm guessing you see that that you know, these people aren't best friends but for some reason or other they feel connected well because of the movement you've created they feel connected and they feel that maybe they can have a chat to this person and know that they're not going to see them next week or next month that might be quite useful definitely and we you know we we said it's a, a non-clinical very clearly to everyone that you know asks us we're not there to offer any professional advice about anything it's purely stories you know telling your story supporting each other and I think that's exactly it it works for me because I go and yeah I see familiar faces but I almost get a um it's almost for me maybe like it, it doesn't feel a burden to me when someone tells a story to me because I feel it and I know it and for them to then come up they come up to me at the end and say oh I'm sorry like sometimes they apologize and I said don't apologize I, I'm serious don't apologize this is the whole point of what we're here for um, yeah, it's the first and- thing Aussie bikes do as soon as we start crying. I did it in my Man Up show and I watched it a lot when we were doing the editing process because I cried a lot in that show and it got to the point where the ABC rang up the production company and said, is he being looked after? Because he's taking every one of these days, they kept seeing it, that, you know, and it's really affecting him. And I have someone that I see and they were very great about it. But the, 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 the problem for me was I didn't feel as if I could show that. Even though I was doing a show talking about how I could do that. And um, they even left a couple of I'm sorry's in there. And my mate picked it up and he's had some issues. This mate of mine lives up on the Gold Coast. And he said, why is it that blokes apologise? 
for when they're showing emotion. He said it's in movies as well. Yeah. It's just sort of the way what we're expected to do now. Well, that we've been brought, you know, boys don't cry. We've been brought up to think it's wrong. And that's you know, hopefully through this podcast series, hopefully through this episode, hopefully through movements like Mr. Perfect and, and other people we've interviewed, we can smash that stigma because it's so unhealthy. I mean, we know for a fact that men who, who repress those emotions, who try to hide them, end up um, more depressed. You know, they end up suffering more. So it's not, I mean, we don't have to cry every minute of every day, but we do need to find healthy ways of talking about how we're feeling. And, and it sounds like Mr. Perfect's, um, you know, it's one of the things that people can try to do that. Definitely. Like we, you know, we're only small at the moment and, you know, the lofty vision is, you know, having a, a meetup in every town in Australia. And I'm pretty busy with sort of day job and things I do outside of it as well. And I've got another little uh, boy on the way. And we'll play it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny having it's having a son has really um my wife what like she says she I don't know, sometimes she's quite amazed at the way I deal with him because she thinks, well, if he didn't have that I didn't have a marker of this is how a dad should be or how a you know, how a, ro- a male role model should be. But my, my father-in-law is just incredible and I've watched him like for 10 years and just gone. And I have to think sometimes when I get too wound up in something or emotional, I think, what would he do? Like how would Steve react in this scenario? Because he just, I've seen him at the, the, the points where I would lose it and just don't, you know, get really, t- and the way he deals with his daughters and his son and his wife and, yet still is, you know, puts the roof on their head and has time for my little boy. Like, it's just incredible. So I have to really bring myself back to that. I'm never going to be him. Sometimes I wish I was, but then I say, it's not me. Like, it's not my, you know, it's not my makeup or my characteristics. There'll be parts of you that he looks at and goes, you know, what I, ma- I imagine, yeah. how proud he is. And mm. he sees that you have someone that has battled things and come through it and his, da- and his daughter loves you. And that's the most important thing. I remember when Vicky first introduced me to her dad, you know, and I just he just couldn't have been less impressed. You know, I I I and Aussie, he was a, he was an ex officer in the navy. He was a publican, a schoolmaster, like real old school and stuff. And this bloody Aussie little Aussie smartass coming around sniffing around his daughter. And eventually, years later, I'm thinking, you know, at some stage, come on, brother, you know, give me a little bit of love. I'm a good, decent person. Um, still nothing. And then eventually I said, oh, I'm going to ask Vicky to marry me. So I've got to, you know, traditionally ask him. And I said to him, can I buy you a pint? And he's sitting there with his pipe, you know, you're going to just imagine him down in the Fountain Inn in Somerset with the pipe going. He looks at sort of nods. So I get him a pint of Courage Best. And I go, uh, Bill, um, I'm going to, um, yeah, I was wondering if I could, uh, you know, <laughs> bumbling through it. Eventually said, I'd like, Vicky's hand in marriage, and he just sort of took a took a <laughs> took a sip of the beer, put the pipe in. He goes, "Well, better an asshole I know than an asshole that I don't." <laughs> he said, "No one will be good enough for my daughter, but you'll do," sort of thing. And of course, he spends six months of the year out in Australia now, very happily, kicking at the back of our house with the sunshine out of the English cold. So I'm sure your for, for that's a long way of saying your father-in-law probably thinks you're a, you're a ripper bloke about the actual barbecue in terms of like just. Where can people find out about them? Does it cost any money? What do you wear? Like, you know, just for people go, oh, that now, might course, sound all right for me. I'd encourage everyone just to check out our website, mrperfect.org.au. We have a map on there which shows all the locations of the barbecues, the times, the upcoming dates. As I said, we've got six in Sydney, one in Melbourne, one in Brisbane. Don't need to bring anything. We normally provide as much as we can. I get to see on meetup.com, which is what we use for the RSVPs, so I can kind of judge what, what we need for each one. 
people have, you know, I do say if there's any particular requirements, bring your own stuff, but it's free, completely free. How do you pay for it? Oh, well, we did a fundraiser last year, um, which started as a very haphazardly organized by me and a couple of mates, a um, trivia night at Chats at RSL. That was when we were small. And thankfully, a few people have just donated randomly to us without any expectation. I use some of my money to set it up, but it is a low cost thing to keep going. But if we want to impact more people, we need we do need some more resources. But we, we did a ball last year as well, which raised some money. And we've had support from all sorts of angles, but everything's very organic. So we have no formal partnerships with anyone at the moment. Mm. Um, I've had some interest, but sort of getting to the, the final stages is different. But yeah, like open to anyone. We've even had guys bring to the meetups their partners and we encourage that. That was going to ask because you, pick, you, know, you, you know picked that. up on me saying it's yeah. the men's only. That's not true. No, no, no. It's definitely not men's only. Um We've had, we've had, you know, women turn up. We've had guys bring their partners, dogs. Even one guy brings his kid along. And it's just incredible. Like he brings his son who's, you know, 12, 13 years old and is probably asking him questions like, where are we going? Why are we going here? And I can't imagine many 12, 13-year-olds would have that uh, exposure to what we're doing. Um, and it's incredible. And we'll kick a football round with him. We even went to a Sydney FC game once as a sort of alternative meetup. And he brought him along and he he messaged me afterwards and said, that was the best thing ever. He said, I've never taken him to a football game. Um, his particular story was a, was a pretty deep one and um, he'd lost everything in the GFC and was trying to be a dad and struggling with mental health issues, but also physical health. And he brought his son along and like for me, that was just amazing. Could have been just them there. That was worth it. Like to get that message afterwards, it was absolutely incredible. So open to all. Generally, yes, it is aimed at men, but we certainly realize that some of our biggest supporters are women. I get messages from women all the time saying, I'm trying to talk to my husband about this or I'm trying to tell him to come or thank you so much for doing this. Like my my friends, you know, wives will, would message and say, I wish we could communicate this to our husbands better. And one says to me, if he talks to you, then that's fine. Like a mate of mine, he won't talk to her, but he says, as long as he's talking to you about his issues, that's fine by me, so... Well, I'm guessing, like me, uh, for a lot of men out there, their best support is their wife or partner. Um, so if they can be involved in the process, that's got to be a good thing. Hey, Doc, we're, we're to, just change the subject a little bit. You've got a very strong relationship with your wife and you've been very honest with her about your feelings and so forth. Why do you think blokes, or is there as like a doctor's description of this, why do blokes find it so hard to talk to their life partner who adore them and love them but they can't talk about their true feelings with them. Is there some sort of block there or are we old-fashioned and we don't want to show that we're not perfect? Well, well I think that's it. I mean, I, th- I think just the, the, the caveat is it's probably different for different people, but yeah, I think that's this, that, that we're not Mr. Perfect. And there's the fear maybe that if I'm uh, honest and show my imperfections and vulnerability, what if my wife doesn't love me anymore? What if she doesn't think I'm great anymore? I think for a lot of blokes. Now, most of the time, that's not true. Most of the time, the wife's going, mate, I've known you're yeah, not Mr. Ex- perfect for a long time. Well, exactly. That's a, and that's the whole thing. We're all imperfect. We're all fucked up in different ways. We all have our faults and failings, etc. And our wives obviously know that. And our friends obviously know that. And yet we all feel that somehow we've got to protect this image. And, and it's just, again, so unhealthy. Um, and that's, you know, I remember actually when I first heard the name Mr. Perfect and I thought, oh, that's not right. So it's putting up this, but as I sort of, as I understood more what Terry was doing, it's great because that's so many of us 
feel like we've got to put this on. And yet, I, so sometimes in my talks, for example, I'll, I'll start off by asking people, stand up if you've ever made a mistake. How many people stand up? Everyone. Every single person. And, you, and it's so obvious when you say it like that. Of course we make mistakes. Of course we stuff up sometimes. And so, but why are we afraid to admit something that everyone does. Yeah. Why do we feel so alone and so ashamed? It's it's really quite unhealthy. So, you know, that's, again, why Mr. Perfect and, and, and many of the people we've spoken to, if we can bust this myth and feel more comfortable feeling uncomfortable and vulnerable, uh, that's a really, really healthy thing. Yeah, just turning up to one of these things, I imagine we, we just feel as if you're not alone. You know, a lot of the times when you talk to kids at school or you're talking through the man up or through Gotcha for Life that I'm doing now... Um, just blokes turning up and looking around and going, they're here as well. And then even without discussing how they're truly feeling, they feel like they're a part of a community, you know, rather than sitting at home and having those horrible thoughts between our two ears because us blokes, still we can talk some crap, can't we? Yeah, definitely. And those, it, that's the, the thing like a lot of people said. And for me personally, the hard part was getting out, right? actually going, I like to get outdoors and I do outdoor stuff, but actually getting up that morning going, yep, I'm going to do this for this reason, turning up and once we get there I go away from it and I I don't know like it feels I feel a lot more at peace and it might only last a day or two but for me that is great I'm back in the car on the way back I'm feeling refreshed I go home my my son's just got up from a nap I then can do something in the afternoon that feels good and as much as it is sometimes you know a lot of work um it is my outlet like it's the thing that again those messages from people to say this is worthwhile, I'll keep doing it. That's just the fuel for me. So it, where it goes is, is, is you know, is, is never ending. I'll, I'll still have the energy for it. Good on you. Well, it sounds like you've had one hell of a life and you come out the other side and the key to that is meeting that Aussie lady. So when we're talking to Terry there, Doc, and we did talk about therapy and at the start I said therapy can be the Sunday morning walk I do with my mates or it can be, you know, just having a one-on-one chat over a cup of coffee with a mate and you sort of pulled me up and said, no, there's that is part of it and that's important but there's also the professional side as well. How do people listening to this podcast actually find a decent therapist, sort of work out how much money it's going to cost them because I imagine they're the things that might be blocking people having a crack. Mm. Well, look, firstly, I'd say um, in terms of whether you need it or not, it's a little bit like most of us self-administer our own medicine in a sense in that we'll take a Panadol from time to time or a Nirvan or whatever it might be and, you know, as a parent, you'll put a Band-Aid on your kid. You don't need a, a medical degree to do that. But obviously, once something crosses a line or goes, uh, gets more serious than that, that's when we need to go to the doctor. And it's similar with a, with a therapist or a psychologist. We can have chats with our mates. We can do all sorts of things to look after our own mental health. But there's a point at which if it's just not getting better, if you're feeling like it's under, out of control, you're just not on top of it, that's when we need to take that next step and see a, a professional. And one of the simplest things we can do is, is talk to our GP. If you've got a good GP that knows you, that you know, um, you know, that's a good starting point. And most GPs, these days will have a network uh, either in their own practice sometimes or, or around their practice of uh, local psychologists or experts that they can refer to. If for whatever reason you don't have that relationship or you can't do that... Well, if you go to a medical centre, a lot of people go to medical centres now. Exactly. So um, the Australian Psychological Society has a fantastic uh, service on its website called Find a Therapist. That's free, that part of it. You just type in your postcode, say, or your, your location, and you can even click a box to say what type of problem you have, say like depression or anxiety. And what it will do is randomly search through its database. I think it has like over 20,000 psychologists 
psychologists in Australia or something like that, mm. um, and find you know, three within your local area that specialise in your problem. So that's a fantastic resource. Google's obviously there. You can search again for your problem in your area. That's a bit of a lottery, but you know, there are various ways like that. But what you then need to do, once, even once you've found someone, make an appointment, is make sure you feel comfortable with them because there are a couple of things that are important. I mean, qualifications are important, but so is that fit. You know, They might be highly qualified and highly expert, but if for whatever reason you don't feel comfortable with that person, it might be worth trying. I mean, it took me, when I started as a psychologist years ago, it was the third person, I think, before I actually felt comfortable with them. And I've spoken to lots of people over the years who found it was a second or third or sometimes fourth or fifth person before they found the right one. And you know, it is important to find the right one. Yeah, so that could be another, just talking from a, a blocking point of view, you go, well, you know, the doctor told me to take these tablets. Well, I had a crack, but they didn't make me feel better. They told me to see, a, you know, go and see a specialist. Well, that bloke didn't get me or that lady didn't get me. They were hopeless and it cost me a fortune or whatever. So I've done everything everyone's told me to do. So what do I do now? And that, it's a bit of a hopeless situation. So how do you, if you find one, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh one, how do you keep on paying the money out for that? At what stage do you sort of go, gee whiz, this is not for me? Yeah, well, look, the unfortunate reality is the finances might come into it and that's, that's a pity because uh, it shouldn't come down to that. But that's a reality in many aspects of life. What I would try and encourage people to do is to keep trying because it's so important. Um, there are some other options and, and what I should state is that thankfully here in Australia, Medicare will cover at least, well, probably not all of it, but a significant percentage of treatment for registered psychologists. So the recommended rate here in Australia, the Australian Psychological Society's recommended rate is about 220 or I think maybe $230 an hour. A lot of psychologists don't charge that amount though, so it will vary tremendously. So you need to check with whoever you're seeing. So when you book but, it, you say, how much is it? Like Exactly. Um, there are some other cheaper or even free options that weren't necessarily, you know, are not necessarily at the same level as one-on-one -on -one therapy, but there are some group programs. So if you can go to a group program, that by definition is cheaper, but obviously that means sitting with six, eight, maybe 10 other people. Uh, there are self-help books. Now, you know, that, that requires motivation to do what you're told, but there's some fantastic books out there. If you go to your local bookstore, go to Amazon or Booktopia or whatever. And these days, there are actually some really good apps um, that don't necessarily provide full therapy, although some of them are trying to do that. But there are some great mindfulness apps and meditation apps, which as a part of your overall well-being, can be really, really useful. If this episode caused any concerns, please contact lifeline.org.au or give them a call, 13 11 14. The Be A Man podcast series is presented by me, Gus Warland, and my great mate, Dr Tim Sharp, produced by the beautiful Liv Proud, and executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Be A Man is recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. For more episodes of Be A Man, head to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app or look us up on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate and review us.